On the bad news scale, oil price war is about a 15. On this podcast, we'll talk about why. My name is Jay O. I'm the author of Maximize Your Medicare. The 2020, 2021 edition has been published by Allworth Press. It's available anywhere you can buy a book. Amazon.com, your local bookstore, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere. The official website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. In addition to that, don't forget about the YouTube channel. Today's podcast will refer to that YouTube channel. Just type in Maximize Your Medicare. Be sure to subscribe to the channel and watch the videos there. As always, today is not financial advice. It's not any specific recommendation. In order to make a recommendation to you, I would need to know a lot more about you and your specific circumstances. Okay, so as of now, and we're going to come up in here into Monday morning, most of you are probably going to be listening to this on Monday. The equity market is down, the S&P 500 is down 7.5%. Now, this is not particularly noteworthy other than, you know, the incredible speed by which you know markets have moved to these levels and the incredible intraday swings you're talking about on the Dow Jones 600 points a thousand points in a day which has been you know quite incredible and as you can see on or read in the media this is the fastest drop from the all-time high down 10% from the all-time high that is the fastest drop that we've ever witnessed Now, candid reality is that the way that most people are told in the media or you can read in your flyers or in research, et cetera, et cetera, over the long run, you know, stocks outperform. And there's no disputing, you know, what is fact. The issue is, is how it actually affects your retirement savings plan and your everyday life. And in this is kind of a disconnect a disconnect between what you what you're actually facing as in your normal circumstances versus what happens in the market. So for example, let's just say you have a financial advisor or a stockbroker telling you okay, you're down x percent or your this is what your performance is. And that I'm not disputing is and I'm not going to dispute whether or not that is true and I'm not going to make a statement on whether or not you know, your portfolio has done well or not. You know, this is the service that I provide. We provide over here to people on a private basis. But obviously, without the data, we cannot make any statements like that. And the candid reality is it, does, is it doesn't really matter, right? Because basically, you know, those are the facts. The real question is, has it affected your plan today and in the future? So basically what ends up happening this should be this should be the normal financial pros- this should be the normal finance this should be the normal financial planning process. In other words, we need to prepare 
for changes in, let's say, your retirement savings portfolio. And it can be in both directions. We cannot just simply presume you're just going to keep going up by you know 10% a year forever. There's no question about it. Over the past four to five years, we've pretty much had a straight line other than a blip at the end of 2018. But basically what you've had is a straight line higher, and so people have been conditioned to just plan on it. And then, okay, if you have some other expenses, some unexpected expense, some different life-changing event, one that would require cash, people have been conditioned to just say, okay, well, my financial statements are going to tell me that I'm better off, and if I really need the emergency money, then I'm going to be able to pull it from that source. That actually has never been correct, really the correct way to think about it. You need to think about what happens when the door swings in the other direction. So let's just take a simple example. So let's just say your, your retirement savings or your investment savings are 100. Okay. And then you have, and then it goes down by 10%. So now you're at 90. Okay. So kind of the false narrative or one of the misleading statistics is, you know, the that the average return, et cetera, et cetera, is 6% a year or whatever it would be. So let's just say you go, you're at 90 and you go up by 10%. Well, if you go up by 10% from that point, you're at 99. You're not back to the original 100. So the average return between those two periods is zero. But your bank balance is minus one. So I use this silly little example, a very oversimplified example, because you can see what ends up happening is over time, what the data that you're given may not exactly be correct or may not specifically apply to you. Now let's just take your simple example, my simple example, and let's continue to twist. So now you've gone by down by 10%, and then you know, a UFO hijacks your roof. In other words, you know, it's not covered by insurance because insurance is for, you know, natural situations, right? But in this case, a UFO has come and taken your roof and it costs five. The question is, where are you going to get this five? Okay. And so what ends up happening is, as you probably know, many people don't have five whatever, whether it be 500, 5,000, 50,000, whatever it would be, they won't have the required amount in their emergency savings just sitting in their checkbook. So now instead you take your, you need to get five. Where do you go? You go to your investment savings and investment savings were at 90 and now you take five out and now it's 85. Okay. And then then yes, you've continued to listen to, you know, the long-term stocks are the best overall investment and it goes back up by 10%. So now you can see it. You've gone from 85 up 10% is 8.5. Your total bank number, your account balance is 93.5. 93.5. You started at 100 Right. It went down. You had to withdraw at that time because of the, this UFO event. And then basically what all you've returned to is 93.5. And here is the erosion that can occur. 
Okay, here's the erosion that can occur, which is that it's fine to say that you can just sit there and wait, but you need to think through how much up and down that your individual situation can actually sustain, that you're willing to accept. Because one event, you know, minus down minus 10% on your investment portfolio may be understandable and maybe you have gone into it with your eyes wide open. You know, I'm not sure if that's the case, but let's just presume for the moment that that is that is the case. Let's say you've already been conditioned to understand that it can go down by 10% and are fully prepared for that. That may be fine. But actually, the real financial planning question is are you able to sustain minus 10 and at exactly the wrong time, minus five. And this is, of course, you know, anecdotally, you can know what this is. This is Murphy's Law. When it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Okay. Bad things come in threes. Whatever, you know, there are a bunch of old, tired cliches, which I usually don't try not to use. But practical reality is people have known this and they have experienced it firsthand. And this is kind of the question that needs to actually be raised, which candidly speaking, the person who's your financial markets advisor may or may not be taking this into account for your instance. This is a shortcoming. This is a shortcoming. Whether or not that that person may say, well, that's not my area of expertise. I'm not sitting there thinking about your overall budgeting, et cetera, et cetera, in your financial plan. Financial planning should include kind of, okay, what are we going to do in this instance? Because it may be that maybe your investment portfolio should not have been taking that amount of risk to allow for plus and minus 10%. I'm not going to tell you that there's one rule. There's no way that I could say that because I can tell you that from my own experience that we advise persons on a range of different financial topics and a range of different financial circumstances. We almost never have the same risk profile for you know somebody's retirement or investment savings. Can't be. Can't be. Their circumstances are different. Their Risk tolerance is different. They have other fish to fry that are more important. There are other fish to fry that are creating stress or tension in their life. They don't want these outside distractions. What does that mean? We need lower swings in volatility in their financial part of their life. So be it. Those are you know, my orders. I follow them. You may or may not have had this conversation with your financial plan or your financial advisor. If you haven't, if you haven't, I would strongly suggest that you have this conversation because that person may not know. In addition to that, your personal circumstances may have changed. Your opinion may have changed. You may have gotten 15 years older, so now your risk profile has changed. The way that you look at the world and the rest of your life has changed. In other words, anything could have changed. And the financial planner, your financial advisor has to take that into account. Has to take that into account. Now, unfortunately, the fact of the matter is, is this should have been taken into account also while the going is good. 
also while the going is good. You can see on the newsletter, uh, there's a Maximize Your Me Medicare newsletter. There's GH2 Unfiltered, a subscription site. I've been mentioning this over the past couple of years. I'm like, look, while the going's good, think through all your other financial needs. See if you can lock them down, the objectives, if you can fulfill them now while the going is good, because guess what? The door swings in both directions. And of course, I also said, no one's going to be listening to me because the market's straight up and everyone's ignoring me. Well, guess what? We're here now. Review your financial objectives. Make sure that whatever risks you're taking in your investment life, in your retirement savings life, investment planning life, match those objectives. The idea that, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to adjust it now because over the long run, well, that person who had the UFO taken from his roof, he now is at 93 and a half, nowhere close to his original 100. So it's Sunday afternoon, and I've skipped out on the Lakers versus Clippers here in order to record this podcast. Anyway... I heard a card. Don't worry. I'm going to watch. Anyway, the uh, fact is, is that over the last couple of days, a headline crossed, you know, the newswire, if you will, and which is that, you know, the, the OPEC and Russia have, you know, agreed to not agree on oil. And what you see is that you know, oil had already been struggling somewhere in the low to mid 40s per barrel, which is, you know, notably lower from the 60s that we've been seeing over the you know, past, you know, maybe a year ago. Well, tomorrow we're going to see something, you know, it looks like somewhere around you know, $10 a barrel lower, if not lower than that. And, you know, certainly there are other headlines which would predict even lower from there. To those persons who drive SUVs and, you know, enormous pickup trucks, this may be, you know, welcome news, but that's pretty much it. And let's go through why. Um, first of all, the energy industry itself, you know, depends on high oil prices in order for to book revenues. So for them, it's an, you know, obvious negative. That said, if you look in your financial press, wherever you get your financial information, you'll see that XLE, which is the energy ETF, is substantially lower than it was 12 months ago. In other words, this dynamic has is not necessarily news. That said, uh, you know, I just want to talk about kind of some more technical things here, things that aren't necessarily in the press and why other sectors can be affected. So it's obvious, right, if you are an exploratory, you know, and there's this idea of, you know, fracking, and let's just call it in Oklahoma or in Texas, you know, what you have is a lot smaller companies who have borrowed money in order to conduct their business activities, which only really works if the price of oil is high. Okay, in other words, that the cost of doing that business and exploring, and I'm not a geologist by any means. So what it seems to be saying is that if oil is very high, then the cost of fracking 
can be offset by high revenues. But the problem is, is if spot oil, in other words, actual oil uh, crude is too low, then fracking stops becoming worth it. The problem is that these companies are not ExxonMobil. They are not Royal Dutch Shell. They are not enormous, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap. Instead, they are much smaller and they have depended on borrowing and lending in order to get the money in order to create the, these types of, you know, energy extracting infrastructure. This is a problem. Why? And the reason is this is a problem because now all of a sudden they own, now all of a sudden they owe interest and principal on their borrowings which they may not be able to repay. If you go to the YouTube channel, I talked, um, when was it? March 3rd, I want to say, I released a video a video that I gave to subscribers of GH2 Unfiltered a couple of days in advance. <clears throat> what that video was about was not necessarily about a portfolio and what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for here is not the idea of orderly selling, right? In other words, I would have explained most of what has happened here as just simply a wider distribution of returns, more uncertainty, right? But not necessarily disorderly uncertainty, right? In other words, what I, what, and on that video, you should go and see it because I made some comparisons to gold as well as utilities and the stock market as a whole. Basically, I've seen relationships largely hold in an orderly fashion for the most part. However, I also mentioned in this same video that oil is one that I am looking for because of its linkages through this borrowing and lending link that I just mentioned. The problem here is that there is an entire set of borrowers, borrowers called junk bond borrowers. In other words, they're non-investment grade borrowers. And it is full of these types of smaller energy companies. If they cannot repay, then the entire borrowing and lending mechanism can be disrupted. If this type of leakage into the borrowing and lending cycle that exists in the United States and around the world, right? Because a lot of what has pushed up financial asset prices is the fact that the borrowing and lending has been so fluid, so easy because interest rates so low, right? So people who wanted to borrow were able to tap that liquidity, tap that money so that they can go and make investments in their company's business. However, what ends up happening is if you have a big number of sellers who fail on this, then the borrowing and lending cycle can get gummed up, right? It can be halted. And remember that financial crises are usually, very usually, typified or characterized by something going wrong in the borrowing and lending mechanism. Housing crisis. Why? Because the persons who borrowed uh, using home equity loans suddenly stopped repaying those loans, suddenly stopped refinancing their mortgage with another mortgage, right? Because they could not afford to do so. 
In the same way, at the company level, companies have borrowed in mass, in mass. And now all of a sudden, if something gets gummed up in this sector, now you've got an issue. Now, the second layer to this same problem, ripple effect of this, is that this becomes especially serious because in the normal process, and you can see it today, right? I'm not going to do the homework for you. We're sitting on, a, on audio. Can't really show it to you clearly. But you have seen bonds going higher when stocks have going lower. And over the last week, you saw so quite dramatically, especially in the United States markets. So basically using the bond market, the borrowing and lending market as a safe haven of sorts. That's what its function has been. So the issue then then becomes if the junk bond borrowers, meaning these oil, these exploratory uh, energy companies start to fail and all of a sudden the bond sector stops being a safe haven. That's when I use the phrase, all bets are off. That you can have stock markets down and bonds stop being the safe haven, making it very, very difficult in order to create rational portfolios in a diversified way. If you want to learn out, learn more about this information, if you want to learn more about this and some of the challenges it can, that can be presented, go to gh2benefits.com. There is a subscription site called GH2 Unfiltered. I, I share some documents where this is actually shown in sample, where the idea that people want to buy, build a diverse portfolio, sometimes it, those diverse portfolios fail. And the reason is because something gets gummed up when people are comparing different types of assets one with each other. That's it for today. As you can hear, this is hashtag much more than Medicare. If you go to the YouTube channel and type in maximize your Medicare, you'll see a number of videos about financial topics which do pertain to people's retirement and financial planning. I'm Jay. We'll return back to the script on Medicare later in the week. Thanks for listening.